Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sirah, and much more. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, and Sirah are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend about islampodcasts.com as well as rate, review of iTunes. مبارك وجعله هدى للناس والحمد لله الذي أرسل رسوله به بشيرا ونذيرا ورحمة للعالمين والهم صلي وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله بجد نعم الله سبحانه وتعالى and we praise the Lord Allah سبحانه وتعالى who revealed the Quran during this blessed month and who sent his messenger with it as a guidance for the whole of mankind. And we ask for the peace and blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon his messenger Muhammad alayhi salatu wassalam and upon his companions. We're coming to the end of the first third of Ramadan. It's a good time to take a collection, to collect your thoughts and to reflect. It's a good time for reflection Nine days have passed. Nine days, subhanAllah. Yeah, where did the time? Nine days have passed. Ramadan is going. It's running away from you. It's running away from us as we speak. So at this stage in nine days, let's reflect inshallah. Reflect on what we achieved so far inside the nine days. Reflect on what we learned, how we progressed, how we moved forward, how we developed inside these nine days. Because Rasulullah ﷺ, he mentioned inside one narration, كَمْ مِنْ صَائِمٍ لَيْسَ لَهُ مِنْ سَوْمِهِ إِلَّا الْجَوْعِ وَالْعَجْشِ Rasulullah ﷺ, he asked, how many people who are fasting, how many of those who are fasting, only get thirst and hunger from their fast? Rasulullah ﷺ is asking a question, but he's asking the question in a way which is, Criticism, warning you. How many people, how many, yani how many people have lost out? All they get from their fasting is hunger and thirst. And so, the first thing which I ask for us, inshallah, to do is just reflect what did we gain and put that in the background for the whole of this, this evening's discussion, inshallah. Because this whole evening's discussion, inshallah, is about the vision of the Muslim, the mu'min, and how he moves forward and how this ummah moves forward. So let us reflect and think on our first nine days, how much we got from them. And if all we can find is that, yeah, we just, we had a lot of hunger and thirst because the day is long and it's inside summer. And so it might be that we feel all we got so far is hunger and thirst. So if someone feels that, if someone can't think of anything else, 
then already he needs to then question, ask themselves. Because this is not the purpose of the fast. The purpose of the fast is not for someone to feel hungry and thirsty. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't tell the Muslim, the believer, you fast in order to feel hungry and thirsty. We don't find that inside the Quran. We don't find that inside the hadith of Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam. In fact, it's the opposite. Rasulullah is criticizing, saying how many of the fasting people, all they got from their fast was hunger and thirst. So people need to think, what did I learn from my fast? Some people have got all kinds of ideas of what the purpose of the fast is. For some people, the purpose of the fast is losing weight. No, no, that's, that's not the purpose of the fast. For some people, it's to be healthy. I'm a, it's a chance for me to clean up my digestive system. It's a chance for me to clean up my blood. That's not the reason for the fast. Some people, it's a reason to put on weight. It's great, we have all the food at iftar time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us inside the Qur'an, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, O you who believe, kutiba alaykumus siyam, fasting has been written upon you, kama kutiba alaladheena min qablikum, as it was written upon the ones that came before you. Every ummah had to do fasting. It was a fardum all of the ummah. La'allakum tattakun, in order for you to have taqwa. That's the reason why we fast. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us, we have been obligated to fast. It's been written upon you. Why? In order for you to have taqwa. Taqwa means fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Taqwa means getting close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Taqwa means to do what Allah asked you to do, ordered you to do, and to stay away from what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prohibited from you to do. And fasting teaches you that taqwa, why? Because when you fast, you prevent yourself from your food, your drink, and your desires. And these are things which are normally halal for you. As long as you're eating and drinking halal food, it's halal for you to eat and drink in the normal time. Normally during the night and day, any time of the night, any time of the day, you feel thirsty, you feel hungry, you can just go down to your fridge, or go to your local chicken and chip shop, whatever it might be, and indulge yourself, there's no problem with that. It's halal for you. But during the daylight hours in Ramadan, you prevent yourself from something which is halal in origin. You prevent yourself from something which you don't think about in the normal run of the day. So if you're preventing yourself from something which is halal, the point being is that's training for you in the rest of your life, in the rest of the year, in the rest of the time, to prevent yourself from that which is haram. Whether that means not doing something which is haram, or whether that means making sure that you fulfill your obligations. It's a training for the believer. It's a taqwa, raising him in taqwa, making him from the muttaqeen. Because if I'm preventing myself from that which is halal, how can I do that which is haram? It doesn't make any sense. I'm not eating and drinking, but I'm eating interest during the month of Ramadan. How does that make sense? doesn't make any sense. Someone prevents himself from food and drink, but then he eats interest. Yani he partakes in interest-based transactions during the month of Ramadan or during any time. How can that make sense? Just as an example. There are many other examples we could give. So fasting wasn't for hunger and thirst 
And if all we feel is hunger and thirst, we need to then reflect and question and say, no, I need to correct myself. This point of this fasting, when I realize it, link it to my aqidah, link it to my belief. It's because I believe in Allah, and Allah is the one who ordered me not to eat and drink during this month. And just as He ordered me not to eat and drink during this month, He's ordered me with the five daily prayers. He's ordered me with this and that and so on. He's pro prohibited me from alcohol. He's prohibited me from and so on and so on, interest and whatever else. And fasting came, we're talking today about the month of Ramadan and the month of victory. Fasting came, was written on us during this month. Shahrul Ramadan, الذي أنزل فيه القرآن. The month of Ramadan in which the Quran was revealed. Huzan للناس. As a guidance for the whole of mankind. وَبَيِّنَاتٍ مِنَ الْحُدَى وَالْفُرْقَانِ And as an explanation of that guidance, and as a furqan. As a differentiator between the right and the wrong. So it means the Quran was revealed during this month. It's a month of guidance. Guidance is the best thing any human being can have because guidance, if someone is guided, it means that Allah is saving him from the hellfire and entering him, inshallah, into Jannah. There's nothing better than that. Iftar at the end of the day is not better than that. We all get happy when we have iftar, but iftar is not better than going into Jannah. Whatever wealth and riches and pleasures you have inside this life is nothing. It pales into insignificance when it's compared to Jannah. So when we say hudan, huda, guidance is the most precious thing a man can have, Allah made the month of Ramadan, Ramadan special for guidance. The month of Ramadan in which the Quran was revealed, hudan linnas, guidance. Not only just the Quran, by the way, all the books that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, such as the Injil, such as the Torah, to the previous prophets, they were revealed during the month of Ramadan. So the month of Ramadan is a special month. It's the best month, it's the month of guidance. Even in one narration, Rasulullah mentions that the month of Ramadan gets, during the month of Ramadan, Jannah is beautified in preparation for the month of Ramadan. Paradise is more beautiful in preparation for the month of Ramadan. Can you imagine paradise, something we can't even imagine in the first place, is so beautiful, the gardens and the rivers from milk, it becomes more beautiful in preparation, in anticipation of the month of Ramadan. Because of the speciality of that month. It's the month of what? The month of guidance. And not only guidance, but an explanation of that guidance. Rules and, and furqan tells you what's right and wrong. And it's not just hudan li Muhammad, or hudan li Bani Hashim, or hudan li Arab. It's not guidance for the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu It's not guidance for his tribe. It's not guidance for the Quraysh. It's no guidance for the Arabs. Hudan linnas is guidance for the whole of mankind. And that's the vision that a believer has to have. When he remembers his fasting and that the Quran was revealed during this month, it's the month of Quran, it's the month of fasting. This Quran was meant for the whole of humanity, not just for me or you or... So the month of Ramadan was a special month. And Allah made fasting obligatory during that month because fasting is a special action. Rasulullah said inside Hadith Qudsi, Call Allah, Rasulullah said, Allah said, Every action of the son of Adam is for him except fasting. 
إِنَّهُ لِي is for me Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَأَنَا أَجْزِيبِي And I'm the one who gives the reward for it. Every other action someone does, it can be done in front of the people. Even prayer can be done in front of the people. Can be done to show off how nicely I recite or how nicely I make my ruku, how long it is, whatever. But fasting, no one knows except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No one knows if you fasted except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because you can, you can always sneak away when other people are not watching and you can drink and eat. You can always do that. There's no sign on your chest which says, I'm fasting. When someone fasts, there's no sign on his, he might look a certain way when it gets close to iftar. It's something different. There's no sign which says to someone, this person is fasting. It's an action between him and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the speciality of the action. That's why Allah says, I'm the one who gives the reward for it. It's for me alone, I'm the one who gives the reward for it. And Allah made that fasting for the month of Ramadan. Why? Because the month of Ramadan is that special month. And fasting, we had many victories during this month of Ramadan. A lot of jihad was fought during this month of Ramadan. A lot of opening of the Muslims took place during this month of Ramadan. And jihad itself was made obligatory upon the Muslim Ummah just before the obligation of fasting. Soon before the obligation of fasting. And he both of them in the first years of Hijrah, the first couple of years. And one of the Mufassirin, he mentioned, it's natural for the Ummah of Muhammad, the Ummah of Jihad. It's natural that the Ummah of Jihad was also obligated to fast. It's natural for those who have been obligated to do Jihad, to spread Allah's word, to spread the guidance to mankind, it's natural for them also to be obligated with fasting. Because of the speciality of fasting, how it's for Allah alone, someone sacrifices his comfort, his food, his drink, he sacrifices that for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone, it's like a mini jihad in the sense of the mujahid. He leaves behind his wealth. He leaves behind his family. He leaves behind his security. He puts himself into the way of danger. He puts himself in the way of harm. For what? For the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. This is the connection between fasting and fasting in Ramadan and jihad. This is the connection we should think about. When we reflect that I was saying, let's reflect and see whether or not we have the hunger and the thirst. The fasting, connection to the jihad, the issue of jihad, brothers. The issue of jihad is the issue of the vision of the Muslim Ummah that Islam should be a guiding light for mankind and Islam should spread across the world and the light of Islam should spread across the world. Us as Muslims, we need to have this vision. When we look at the month of Ramadan, this special month, we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted the Ummah different victories during this month. The first victory was the victory at Badr. When Rasulullah let's quickly give the background behind it. Rasulullah had left Mecca 
and went to Medina where he found the people who were willing to support him and establish him. Make him the ruler amongst them. Make Islam the rule between them. Establish the Islamic State with Rasulullah the Prophet and the ruler at its head. And they were trying to establish themselves securely in the land. And so Rasulullah had heard about a caravan returning from Asham, which was being led by Abu Sufyan, one of the major enemies of Rasulullah in Mecca from the Quraysh. And so Rasulullah prepared 300 or so companions, 303, 309 companions, with a few horses and camels to go out in order to attack this uh, caravan in order to weaken the Quraysh and to strengthen the Muslims. To get the wealth to strengthen the Muslims while weakening the Quraysh. Why? There's a, there is a condition of war between these two people. Between the people of Islam and the people of Shirk and Kufr. The people of Medina, they are the people of Islam, and the people of Mecca, this is the people of Shirk and Kufr at this time. But Abu Sufyan managed to make the Quraysh aware, the people of Mecca aware, and so they came with a massive army of 1,000, equipped with many horses and many camels. 1,000 against 300. And Abu Sufyan and his caravan managed to escape. So imagine that, brothers. Rasulullah comes out with his companions, expecting to go and attack a caravan, and instead they find themselves facing, potentially on the battlefield, an army three times their size. Not only three times their size, but well prepared. An army that came in order to fight them. And Rasulullah asked his companions, especially those from the Ansar, those from Medina. This is the first major test for them. Here we are on the battlefield, we didn't come to face this battle, we're not prepared for it. What should we do? And al Makhdad. One of the Ansar said to Rasulullah You're asking us, yani the Ansar, about this. And he said to him, We will not be like Bani Israel. We will not be like the tribes of Israel. The Jews, when they said to Musa salam, What did they say to Musa salam? They said to him, Go you and your Lord. Go you and your Lord. And you two fight. You and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala go and fight and we're going to be here qa'idun. We're going to be here sitting. That's what they said to their prophet. Miqdad said, Al-Miqdad said, we won't say to you what they said, what Ben Israel said to Musa. Rather we say to you, go forward with Allah and fight and we will be with you, behind you, wherever you go. These are the words, the effect of what Al-Miqdad said to Rasulullah And so the Prophet Muhammad prepared the battlefield. Where are we going to position our army, destroying the, destroying the wells for the Quraysh, making sure they had wells and water, access to water for themselves, preparing the army where the people should be, everything ready for the fight, taking the material preparation, and then spending the night in dua. To the point that Abu Bakr al-Siddiq said to him, Ya Rasulullah, it's enough. You made enough dua. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to forsake you. He's not going to leave you. And then when the battle occurred, and they had first the duels, and then the battle, and the Muslims routed the kuffar from the battlefield. 
Not just defeated them, they routed them from the battlefield. 300 against 1,000. Routed them. But it wasn't the victory of Muhammad and the companions. They're not the ones who brought the victory. Yes, Rasulullah prepared. And yes, he then made dua. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us inside the Quran, وَلَقَدْ نَصِرَكُمُ اللَّهُ بِبَذْرٍ وَأَنْتُمْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you the victory in Badr and you were few. Allah is the one who gave the victory. Rasulullah prepared. Like any Muslim in our belief, in our aqidah, we know brothers. You don't just leave things. You need to make your best effort in whatever action you're doing. You need to make your best effort. But the result is always from Allah. That's the aqidah, that's the belief of the believer. You make your best effort to do what Allah told you to do. And Allah will bring you the results. And then you should be content with the result that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings. And so in this case, after all the preparation, Allah is the one who brought the victory. And we know, for example, Rasulullah at one point in the fight, he grabbed some uh, sand, dust, and threw it in the face of the Quraysh. And a whole sandstorm emitted and... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought that from the actions of Rasulullah and Allah mentioned inside the Quran, When you threw, it wasn't you who threw, rather it was Allah who threw. And Allah continued, And in order for the believers to be tested with a good test. Do you see? The test was, are you going to stand firm with Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and fight. The victory will come to you from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the test is, are you going to have the faith inside that? That you're going to stand there, prepare and do the jihad. Not only Badr took place in Ramadan, other battles. The most famous from the fact of Mecca. The conquest of Mecca took place during the month of Ramadan. Rasulullah returning back to open the lands of Mecca to Islam, the land which he was expelled from by the Quraysh. He is now returning 10 years later, just 10 years later or less, not with a few hundred, with 10,000 behind him. Muslims after Muslims coming into Mecca. And Rasulullah when he's coming into Mecca, defeating those people, his enemies, who tortured his companions, who insulted him, who lied against him, who fought against him, who made propaganda against him. When Rasulullah came into Mecca, he rode in with his head down, reciting what was revealed to him from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ When the victory of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes, and the opening, the conquest. It wasn't the victory for the Muslims, that they just came and after these 10 years, due to their efforts alone, rather Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought them the victory on the basis of the jihad they did for his sake, on the basis of the actions they did for his sake. But the victory came from who? From Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Muslims throughout history, they used to prepare their armies to the best of their abilities and then rely upon Allah and fight. And we have other great battles which took place during the month of Ramadan. One of the most memorable battles or liberations, the liberation of Quds from
from the Battle of Hittin, undertaken by Salah Hiddin Ayyubi. We know that Palestine is occupied now, but Palestine was occupied previously, seven, eight, nine centuries ago, by the Crusaders. And they stayed there for decades, even more. But Salah Hiddin Ayyubi, as a result of what happened, there was a treaty between Salah Hiddin Ayyubi and the Crusaders who were occupying Al-Quds. And then one of their leaders broke this treaty by attacking one of the trade caravans. And Salah Hiddin Ayyubi went and discussed with the head of the Crusaders. And basically there was no result from the discussion. And so after some battles, they came to a conclusion, a final battle at Hittin. 20,000 on the Muslim side and 20,000 on the side of the Crusaders. Equal forces in terms of power. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought the victory for the Muslims such that the 20,000 of the Crusaders were very weak by the time they came to the battle. And the 20,000 of the Muslims were very strong physically by the time they came to the battle. And so Allah had Ayubi routed the Crusaders at that time and reconquered or reopened Al-Quds for Islam and removed the oppression of the Crusaders and from the prisoners from that battle was the head of the Crusaders and also the one who had broken the treaty and the justice of Islam and the justice of Salah al-Din Ayyubi was that he forgave the head of the Crusaders and the other leaders, as long as they paid the ransom and let them to return back to Europe. But the one who broke the treaty, Salah al-Din Ayyubi, executed himself with his Other battles during the month of Ramadan include Ain Jalut. Ain Jalut was another fitna that occurred in the time of fitna for the Muslim Ummah as well. When the Mongols, the Tatar, were fighting against the Muslims. And the, the way the Tatar used to fight, my dear brothers, was they used to fight with what's called shock and awe tactics. We've heard the shock and awe tactics from the Americans in their arrogance. The Tatar, they came before them and they had the same arrogance and the same shock and awe tactics. The way the Tatar were, was they would offer someone to surrender and if they refused to surrender, then after they fought them, they would kill all of them. They would not only kill all of them, they would destroy the trees, destroy all the crops, yani just make the land a barren land. This was their shock and awe. The same way the Americans, they said, we have shock and awe when they're doing their attacks on Iraq and Afghanistan to try and, fear, to try and put fear into the hearts of the Muslims, to try and defeat them before they even uh, uh, come. This is what the Tatar used to say. So when they would send a, an ambassador to the, to the next town, to the next city, they would say to them, either surrender and accept us as your rulers and bow down to us, or what happened to such and such before you is going to happen to you as well, to try and put fear into their hearts. And so they sent one of their ambassadors, three of the ambassadors, to Cairo to Qudus. Qudus was the leader of the Muslims in Cairo and in Masr at this time from the Mamluk. Three ambassadors, they gave him the same message. You've seen what we've done before with our shock and awe tactics. So either surrender to us the ambassadors or will come to you with an army and do to you what we did to everyone else previously. And Qudus gave them the message back 
the heads of the three ambassadors on stakes outside of Cairo. This was the message back from Qudus to the Tatar. And he prepared his army and again, roughly 20,000 against 20,000. But the Tatar were much more difficult than the Crusaders, much more difficult battle. In the same way, the Russians are much more difficult battle than the Americans. If anyone speaks or discusses with people from Afghanistan in these areas, they always have respect for the Russian soldiers. They say they used to be real men, the Russian soldiers. They put up with a lot, whereas they have no respect for the NATO troops. They say these people, they're, they're remote control soldiers. They fight from remote control. They can't fight. When they come onto the ground, they're cowards. So in the same way the Tatar at that time, coming from that hard background, they're not from Europe, they're from any the, the, you know the areas they're from, the Himalayas and so on. They're coming down. They have the strength. But Qudus had the victory of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at that time. Both Hittin and Anjalut took place, my dear brothers, in the last 10 nights of Ramadan, in the last 10 days of Ramadan. This is the victory Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to the Ummah. Because the Ummah used to have this vision of Islam. We wouldn't allow our lands to be occupied and we wouldn't allow Islam to be denigrated in the way that it can be denigrated when it doesn't have a representative. They used to understand this. Rasulullah when he was weak and one person in Mecca, he used to say to the Quraysh, I'll give you one word and with the one word you will rule over the whole of the Arabs and the non-Arabs. That's what he used to say to them. I'll give you one word and you rule over the whole of the Arabs and the non-Arabs. Yani the whole of the world. And he is being rejected by them, attacked by them and he's saying this to them. This is the vision Rasulullah had. When the Muslims were being in Medina, being faced by a confederation of armies, the battle of Khandab, the battle of the ditch, the confederation, the Ahazab, all the Arabs are gathering against them. And they're building a ditch of defense around Medina. And Rasulullah is telling them, I see ahead of you the opening of Asham, Assyria. I see ahead of you the opening of Al-Faris, the, of the, 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 the Persia. I see ahead of you the opening of Yemen. Rasulullah is saying this while all of the Arabs are gathering around them to fight against them. This is the vision. Why is the vision that Islam gives to the Muslim, to the believer? As a guidance for the whole of mankind. And our responsibility as an Ummah is to carry this Islam to the whole of mankind. That's the vision we need to have, like Rasulullah had that vision. We need to have a vision today that we're going to establish Islam. Not in order to liberate Palestine, not in order to liberate Kashmir, not in order to liberate Burma, not in order to liberate Syria. Yes, we will do all those things insha'Allah when we establish Islam and an Islamic State once again. We will do all those things insha'Allah when we establish Khilafah once again ta'ala. But that's not the concept a Muslim needs to have. A defensive kind of Islam that we just want to liberate our lands. No. We want to establish Islam and establish an Islamic state and establish a Khilafah in order for the sake of spreading Islam to the world. This is the vision someone should have today. Even today, brothers. Don't be satisfied and think just Palestine. The Ummah today, yes, we are underneath all kinds of travesties and problems. Even, even after these revolutions inside the Muslim countries, the 
slaughter in Syria, the slaughter in Burma, the famine in Syria, in, 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 in Somalia. We have problem after problem after problem. Can you imagine, brothers, someone called up to one of these satellite channels in Saudi Arabia and spoke to the sheikh and asked him fatwa. Yeah, sheikh, is the fast of someone who doesn't find anything to have for suhoor and doesn't find anything to have for iftar, is his fast accepted from him or not? Is it accepted from him? Yani he doesn't find anything to have for his suhoor, nor does he find anything to have for his iftar. That's the situation for the Muslims. And the Shaykh began to cry. And the Shaykh began to cry, inshallah he's crying because he recognizes the Taghiyya who's running his country and some of the other Muslim countries, that they waste their wealth on Manchester football team or on underground palaces or on five-star, seven-star hotels or just simply on whatever they waste their money on. They find new ways to waste their money and they're genius in ways of wasting their money rather than using the wealth for the sake of the Ummah, rather than ruling by Islam and having dignity in this life and the next life. Brothers, you're going to say, Ahi, you've gone from talking about fasting to talking about establishing Khilafah to talking about spreading Islam around the world. This is a bit big. This is a bit of a big vision. It's a bit impossible. You'll find someone coming along and saying, Ya Akhi, Muslims are not united to the point that they can't unite on which day to fast and which day to break their fast. How are we going to unite and have khilaf? You have someone coming along and saying, Akhi, you have someone, Muslims inside this country in UK, we can't decide what time Isha prayer is. How are you going to have khilaf? It's impossible. Let's do things little by little. Isn't it the case? People have this mentality, maybe some of us think this way. Let me give you one example. When you meet a non-Muslim during this month of Ramadan, and you tell him that you're fasting, he goes, you're fasting, you mean you're not eating during the daytime? Yes, I'm not eating. Also, I'm not drinking either. He goes, wow, you're not eating and you're not drinking? Just, I can't imagine doing that. No way, impossible. And then when you say, oh, it's not just for one day, it's for one month. Then the guy becomes crazy. How? You find this when you mention about fasting to the non-Muslim. And the reason why he finds it impossible, the reason why he finds it unimaginable, the reason why he can't believe that someone can do it is because he doesn't believe in Islam. If he believed in Allah and His Messenger the way you do, then you would know that you're fully capable of fasting. You're fully capable of withholding yourself from the food and drink and your desires for the one month during the daylight hours. You know that you're fully capable of that. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't ask a human being to do more than he's capable of. Allah doesn't just give rules for the sake of it. So you know for, for sure 
Yes, I can do this because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala obligated it upon me, obligated it upon this ummah. So you don't find it strange, you don't find it impossible. You find it very possible. You find it actually, inshallah, it's easy because of your aqidah, because of your belief. And when someone believes that the khilafah will be established, because the Prophet Muhammad promised it inside hadith, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised victory to those who believed and worked for his deen inside the Quran, because it's an obligation upon the Muslim ummah to rule by Islam. When you believe that for sure this is possible and it's capable, you will work for it. And you will always believe that it will occur. The same way that Rasulullah when he was a few with him in Mecca, a few, some of them refugees in Abyssinia, some of them tortured to death in Mecca, in boycott, economic situation bad, political situation bad, physical situation bad, he's still saying Islam will dominate the world. Because of the aqidah, because of the belief, because of the wahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So us as believers today, fasting during this month of Ramadan, during this month of victory, we need to revive this vision, revive this promise inside our minds. Realize, yes, it's something which is capable. Yes, it's something which Allah may obligate you upon us and therefore we can work to it the same way we fast during this month. And make this month, inshallah, into a month of victory inside the future, bi'inni ta'ala, as it was a month of victory inside the past. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran tafsir, and sirah are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment, and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend about IslamPodcast.com.